Hi, everyone. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18 today. So if you've got a Bible, keep your Bible open at that text, and we'll work our way through that. Uh, the author here wants to um, encourage these uh, believers that he's referring, writing to in the book of Hebrews, that he wants them to understand fully that Jesus Christ is their Redeemer. There's nobody else, and there's nothing else Jesus only. He's the sole redeemer of mankind, sent by God the Father to bring many sons and daughters to glory, as verse 10 tells us, so that God the Father is glorified in all that these children of his, these redeemed people, do of his. And as we work our way through these verses, we come to a really interesting phrase in verse 17. It's the word or the term propitiation, and it simply means that it's about God turning away from his intent to punish you for sin. You and I deserve to be punished for sin, but God has chosen to turn away from doing that, and he put that onto his son, Jesus Christ, the only one qualified to take your place and mine because he was without any sin. So Jesus came to earth, and he lived fully as man, fully as God while he's here on the earth, but he had no sin, and so then he was taken to that cross, and he's going to suffer on the cross to redeem your soul, to redeem me, so that we would be the people who live for the glory of God. That's what this text is telling us. That's what this text is really making clear to us. So from all of this, I've got three thoughts that I want to bring to our attention that come from verses 10, verse 13, and verse 17. Uh, so if you have a glance at those verses, we'll, we'll get to them. First one's this. What does it mean for Jesus to be the, the, the source or the, the foundation, the founder of my salvation? What does that mean to me? Secondly, what does it mean for me to place my trust in Jesus Christ? I say I trust him, but what does that actually mean for that to happen? How does that happen? What's that all about? Then the third point is this. How does the, the, how does the outcome of my being redeemed, my being saved by Jesus, my, my seeing him as the source of my salvation, and then my trusting in Christ, how does that provide eternal security for me in the atonement? And this whole deal of this propitiatory sacrifice that we'll look at where Jesus took our place, the only one suitable, and God therefore didn't punish you and me, he punished Jesus. What does that all mean? So firstly, what does it mean then for Jesus Christ to be the source of your salvation, my salvation? Personalize that, please. I spring uh, my thoughts here from verse 10 of our text. And so we read in verse 10, and um, bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, they exist for the glory of God, should make the source, that's the captain, the fulfillment, the foundation of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. So we see Jesus Christ is going to suffer here, and he's going to be perfected in all of that. Uh, but you and I are the ones who benefit greatly from that, obviously. So in salvation, you and I, we've received Jesus Christ himself. That's important understanding, because if we get that understanding, it hinders us from attempting to just add Christianity to our, our reasonably good lifestyle. We live decent lifestyles. We, we try and avoid um, uh, trouble and problems, and we're trying to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. And so people add Christianity, a form of it anyway, they think, onto this lifestyle, they think they're right with God. We're going to have to look at that, because that's a pretty serious place to be in. <clears throat> So instead of adding Christianity on, Jesus Christ becomes your life and my life. He's the life of the Christian. He's living within us. And that's pretty amazing. Jesus Christ living in you. So we have to appreciate that for us to believe, to receive Jesus Christ as the source or as the Greek of our salvation or as the Greek 
term refer, refers to the, the, the term of the statement, founder of our salvation, we have to believe who he really is. We notice from John 1 verse 12, that as many as received him, received Christ, they believed in his name. So when you receive Jesus, you've believed in his name. So to receive Jesus Christ as your savior is to believe in Christ as being the only one capable of saving you, the only one capable of offering redemption, the only one capable of atoning for your sin. So you begin to see who Jesus really is. But with your receiving Christ as your savior, you also receive God the Father and you receive eternal life. Now, Jesus made this very, very clear that he and the Father are one. So whenever you receive Christ in the Father's name, you receive the Father. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who said in, in John 13, verse 20, whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. And the one who sent him was the, the Father, sent him to this earth to live as an example to mankind, to call followers to himself, and then to be crucified and sacrificed for you and for me, so we would have salvation and redemption in God, because God has chosen us for that. A wonderful walk with him. And because we have received Jesus as the source, as the captain, as the founder of our salvation, then we're called, we're called by him to walk in his ways. So I want you to see from, uh, from scripture an amazing fact about your life in Jesus Christ. Take note of these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. This is about your life and my life. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, which it does for the true believer. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Do you begin to see where this is going? If you haven't got the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. So this old body is dead because of sin. It's troubled by sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we're, the spirit's alive in us, living for God's glory in our lives today. That's a wonderful truth and a wonderful thing to understand. Now, I want to take from that and, and build a little bit. So we, we need to begin to understand that what, what might this look like? We've got our sources discovered. It's the, the captain of our soul, the foundation. But then we move on to avoid being in that sort of position of struggle and trauma. We need to discover what it might mean for us then to trust in Jesus Christ. We've got a bit of clarity as to him living in us and him being the source of our salvation. But what does it mean for us to trust, for you and I to trust in Jesus Christ? I want to use the term or the concept of our, our trusting Jesus as an extension of our believing in him and, and considering him to be the source, the captain, the founder of our salvation. So we've got that level there and we're jumping from that. In his book, um, what about, about saving grace? John Piper Pastor John Piper gives us these thoughts. I think they're helpful to us. Let me read them to you. He says, um, many people receive Christ as a, a sin forgiver because they, they, they treasure being guilt-free, not because they treasure Jesus Christ. Many people receive him, uh, receive him as a rescuer from hell because they treasure being pain-free, not because they treasure Jesus Christ. Many people receive him as a healer because they treasure being disease-free, not because they treasure Christ. They receive him as a protector because they treasure being safe, not because they treasure Jesus Christ. They receive him as a prosperity giver because they treasure being wealthy, not because they treasure Jesus Christ. Many claim, he writes, to receive, to receive Christ and to be a Christian, but they do not receive him as a treasure. He then goes on to talk about how he's spoken to many people in his area, people who have struggled with alcohol, drunkenness, uh, drug dealers, um, 
those who are messed up in all their family circumstances. And he concludes down here, he says, you know, drug dealers have received them, prostitutes have received them, all sorts of people have received them. This kind of receiving, says Piper of Christ, is not a joy that I celebrate. It's a heartache that I bemoan because these people are not treasuring Christ. That's his point. So we've all seen people sometime, I'm sure, receive Christ. They, they say a prayer. Um, they supposedly receive Christ. They go forward in a, a gathering and they receive Christ and they're happy and everybody's ecstatic and everybody's joyous and so on. But over time, they, they for whatever reason, they decide not to continue in this relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't make any public announcement. They just sort of drift away from living this Christian life lifestyle. And so for whatever reason, Jesus Christ is not their treasure. They're not trusting him to be who he claims to be. They're not saying, I want Jesus more than anything. And the Greek word used in verse 13 for trust means to rely upon. You see, you rely on Jesus Christ being who he claims to be. That's what the Christian does. And as a believer, you're called to live this devoted life to Jesus Christ in accordance with the word of God that you say you believe in, you cherish and you trust and you want to live. So you're convinced that Jesus, your Savior, is exactly who Jesus claims to be. But there's, there's nothing new in people claiming to follow Jesus. There's nothing new in people supposedly trusting in him, in him for something. John tells us how the Lord Jesus dealt with such people in his day. Let me read from John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25 to you. Listen to this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, speaking of Jesus, during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So he does these, these activities, and many people believe in his name. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a, there was a corruption there. And see, they wanted to accept Jesus. They wanted to even to receive him, wanted even to supposedly trust him, uh, that is, being convinced that he can do miracles but he's not their savior. So they're saying, oh yeah, he can do the miracles. He can do these things, but he's not their savior. Now, they, they, they supposedly have some sort of faith, some form of faith here, some form of trust in him, but it wasn't set in the person of Jesus Christ. This is where I want to get to, because this is the, the, the crux of our, our message. This is the crux of our issue and the issue of these believers right here in the book of Hebrews. So, so here's what it looks like to place all our trust in Jesus Christ. These are the words of the Apostle Paul and his testimony of coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, let me read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 to us here. So Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Oh, all of that was so important before I knew Jesus. He continues, Yet indeed I also count all things lost. For the excellence of knowing of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, my, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. All that stuff, I'm pushing it away because I want Jesus. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Not, not this, That's not good enough, says Paul, which is from the law. That was a great way to live, but that's not good enough. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from faith, from God, by faith. Paul says, that's what I want. I don't want the stuff. I, I had the stuff. I don't want the stuff. I want Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to honor him. I want to treasure him. That's what Paul wants. 
So Piper provides this quote for us, and I find it helpful. He says, ultimately, the aim of God's work in redemption is not that through Christ we might have salvation, which is what we just push about all the time. Ultimately, the aim of God's work in redemption is not that through Christ we might have salvation, but that through salvation we might have Christ, the all-satisfying treasure. We want Jesus. That's his whole point. That's the point the author's making in this chapter in Hebrews here in this text. He says, we want Christ. We have to have Christ. That's who we're looking for. So let me ask you this. Are you trusting Christ? Are you relying on Christ alone? for your salvation and are you getting stuff out of the way so that you can focus on Jesus and give him everything? Are you convinced of his being your savior? Because the true believer is. Okay, so we've we've discovered Christ to be the source of our salvation. We've discovered a little bit, hopefully, what it means to really put our trust in him and get all this stuff out of the way. Now, let's that's, that's go to that third point. Uh, so an important aspect of your salvation is, is that of atonement. And as those who have been saved, we, we trust Christ completely, as I mentioned, in his atoning for our sins. We say, only Jesus can do that for me. To atone, or some translation, translations prefer the term, to propitiate, it is to reconcile to oneself someone who's been estranged, and in our case, we were estranged to God because of our sin. So God has stepped in, and he's reconciled us to himself. We were estranged to him. We couldn't get to him. We were estranged, but he reconciled us to himself, bringing us into this wonderful relationship with him through Jesus Christ, the source of our salvation, whom our trust is entirely in. So Jesus Christ, according to verse 17 of our text, was the only one who could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement, to make propitiation, to be that sacrifice for the sins of the people. See, an ancient an old ancient poem from the 14th century titled Piers the Plowman attempts to help attempts to help unite the reader of this text and this, this troubling idea that Jesus is this atonement, this propitiatory sacrifice, and the only one capable and suited of doing that because he was fully man and fully God and without sin. And so this poem written um, here gives us the, the story of Pierce falling asleep. He has this dream. He sees Jesus pushing open the gates of hell. And then he hears Jesus speaking these words to the devil, to Satan himself. And here's what he heard Jesus say in his dream. And it's only a dream, but it's a little thought that might help us. He says, here's my soul as a ransom for all these sinful souls to redeem those that are worthy. They're mine. They came from me. And therefore, I have the better claim on them. You, Satan, by falsehood and crime and against all justice, took away what was mine in my own domain. That's in the, in the world, if you want. I, in fairness, recover them by paying the ransom and by no other means. What you got by guile is won back by grace. And as a tree caused Adam and all mankind to die, so my gallows, my gallows tree shall bring them back to life. In other words, I'm going to be crucified for them. I'm going to hang on the tree, on the cross, to redeem what is mine. And that's a really wonderful thought. In his book, Theology of the Basics, Alistair McGrath uh, provides us with this essential and historical uh, understanding of the thought of atonement. Here's what he writes. The word atonement 
uh, can be traced back to 1526, when the English writer William Tyndale was confronted with the task of translating the New Testament into English. There was at that time no English word which meant reconcilia reconciliation. It didn't exist. So didn't Tyndale had to invent a word, and he invented this word atonement or at one meant. This word soon became to bear the meaning, bear the meaning, the benefits which Jesus Christ brings to believers through his death upon the cross. So that was where the word came from. That's the etymology of it. That's the background. This is what this is all about. It's about Jesus Christ bringing to believers through his death upon the cross the benefits of knowing him and the blessings of walking with him every step of our lives. So we're incredibly privileged. It's important that we recognize that for you and for me to be reconciled to God, the mediator, Jesus Christ, had to sacrifice himself. God the Father punishing God the Son for you and for me on an eternal capacity, eternal basis. So Jesus Christ offered himself as your sacrifice. He was prepared to take upon himself the sin that would take you to hell. But he took that on himself. Here's how Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Uh, for I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is all from God's word. This is God speaking. This is truth. This is what God has decreed. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God had all this planned. Jesus, uh, as part of that triune being, God had all this planned. This was all foreordained so you it was no surprise to anybody except to you and i who are the recipients of that benefit in an amazing way and this is the savior that we're called to recognize as being the source as being the founder of our salvation this is a savior who we're called to place our trust in so jesus christ took your place on the cross at calvary he chose to die instead of you dying that's exactly what jesus christ did wanted to listen on the cross making atonement with God for you, Jesus defeated Satan and every demonic effort to hinder you from living a life that is free from the chains of sin and the past regrets that brought shame and disgrace to your Redeemer. On the cross, Jesus washed you clean with his own precious blood from every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit. On the cross, Jesus gave us the example of laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would make a sacrifice for one another. So in every way, Jesus is the source of our salvation as we place our trust in him and he atones for our every sin. And verse 18 of our text wraps the whole thing up and concludes. And we discover that because he has suffered temptation and he's overcome temptation, he is well qualified to help you, to help me, to help every redeemed soul overcome temptation and live victoriously for the glory of God. Now that's an amazing redeemer. That's an amazing savior. And that's our wonderful Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Keep pressing on for him. Keep trusting in him, in him and keep reading his word. Thanks for listening. Look forward to catching up soon. Have a great week.